Uh, we are in the summer series called Summer in the Psalms. Let me give you just a little bit of a heads up on the next couple weeks. Uh, so we'll be finishing out um, over the next couple weeks. On July 23rd, it will be the last week of the series. We're going to conclude with a little bit of an extended time of worship. Uh, we're going to end with uh, Psalms 145 through 150, which I kind of call the, the hallelujah hymns. And so it's all about praise and uh, worshiping the Lord. And so we're going to have an extended time uh, of worship on that Sunday. And then the next Sunday, July 30th, will be a fifth Sunday, which is what we call Family Sunday. So we'll have kids in the room. Uh, but it's also going to be more of a youth-focused Sunday. It, that weekend will be uh, our Youth D-Now weekend. And so that Sunday morning will kind of be the conclusion uh, of, their, of their weekend together. Uh, and so I'll be up here on the platform. And my son, Aiden, who is a senior, uh, will be joining me on the platform as well. So I'm excited for that Sunday, uh, July the 30th. So just wanted to give you a heads up on that. Let's, uh, let's get into Summer in the Psalms. Let me kind of bring us up to speed on, on uh, Psalms. What exactly are Psalms? Psalms is a book of the Bible. It's a collection of Hebrew poems and prayers and songs. There's 150 uh, of them, and we've been going by these seven categories uh, according to the Every Psalm Project. Uh, again, these aren't biblical categories or divisions, but I think they're helpful for us to know how to give uh, words and language to our prayers and our cries to the Lord. Uh, and so you see these seven categories. We've talked about psalms of praise, lament, thanksgiving, confidence. Last week we talked about psalms of kingship. Today we'll be talking about psalms of remembrance. Next week we'll conclude these categories with psalms of wisdom. All right, so today we're talking about a psalm of remembrance. We're going to be in Psalm 106. Psalm 106, a psalm of remembrance. Let me do what we've been doing is read a definition of psalms of remembrance. Psalms of remembrance retell this, the history of God's presence in humanity, focusing on acts of salvation and redemption in the past. These psalms turn our hearts toward gratitude as we remember God's grace and his specific actions, the miraculous and major historical events. So there's not a lot of, of psalms of remembrance um, according to this Every Psalm project, there's really five of them. Psalm, uh, Psalms 80, 78, 81, 105, 106, 126. Some of these are long, like including today's. Today's is 48 verses um, because they're recounting a lot of, of history, Israel's history. Um, but this remembering, this act of remembering takes place really throughout the Bible, but in particular in, in the Psalms. And so let me read you an example of, of this remembrance that happens. Psalm 77, which is not a psalm of remembrance, it's actually a psalm of lament, but you see this action of God's people remembering what God has done. Psalm 77, uh, this again is a psalm of lament, and so the psalmist is crying out to God. Verse 9, has God forgotten to be gracious God, where are you? Have you in anger shut up your compassion? Selah. Verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this to the years of the right hand of the Most High. Verse 11. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. Who, what God is great like our God? And so I love this. I think this gives the illustration of like a psalmist who in the middle of, of adversity is crying out to God, God, where are you? Have you forgotten to be gracious? Have you forgotten about me? 
And then the psalmist goes back and goes, wait, 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 let me, let me retrace your history and your wonders of old and how active you have been and all the, the good things you have done in my life. And it leads the psalmist to a place of praise, who is like our God, right? So this is what a psalm of remembrance does. And, you know, I'm, I'm convinced the older that I get, I think the older that we get, uh, the more we look back and remember, right? Because the older you get, the more the more history you have to look back on, right? Um, so we start to remember and look back more. So uh, tomorrow is a pretty special day for, for me and my wife, uh, Annette. We celebrate uh, our 24th anniversary. So you ought to congratulate my wife for putting up with me for 24 years or not, okay, and whatever. If you don't want to, fine. Um, but this is us back in 1999, July 10th, 1999. Uh, so, you know, this put me through this, this um, you know, an anniversary causes you to, like, look back on the past and remember. And, you know, if you're like me, you remember, you know, all the highs and all the lows. And I'm just going to take you on a little picture journey for a minute. I could have picked out a lot of pictures here, but I just want to show you just quick visual history of last 24 years. So if you fast forward about, gosh, nine years, I think 2008, uh, you know, we go from just me and her to here we have three boys. And so 2008, we have uh, our three boys. Our family is complete at this point. We're just, you know, the boy family. Um, that's in 2008. We were living in Cincinnati, Ohio at that point. Uh, fast forward about mm, four more years, I think in 2012, we go from Ohio. We're on the coast. We're living in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, those are our three dark boys there as we're, uh, you know, on the coast. Coast. Um, Andrew with the old faux hawk back in those days, 2012. All right, so a couple years forward, we're in Springfield, Missouri, I believe, at this point. We're here, 2016. We're actually on a spring break uh, trip. Uh, through Texas, and so we landed in San Antonio, Texas. That's the Riverwalk, if, if any of you all been there. It's a great city. Uh, so there we are. We added, you know, our family was complete, uh, or so we thought. So we add little Blakeney to the mix there, and there she is, um, three years old. Um, go forward a couple more years. So we're in Springfield, Missouri. This is not Springfield, Missouri. This is Times Square, New York City. Um, we're on a trip there, and so there's the whole family. We're full on in, like, getting into teenage life. Uh, life there with the boys. Uh, we could have picked some worse pictures of y'all. Um, these are pretty tame. Um, go forward another year in 2019. This is downtown Springfield, Missouri, and this is literally a month before we moved to Lugoff, South Carolina. Uh, and so there is the family, and then I think the last one we have is from gosh, two or three months ago, uh, from Old Mother's Day, 2023, and a lot of other pictures we skipped and fun phases for all the kids and the adults, uh, skipped the chubby years for, you know, mom and dad, we, <laughs> um, you know, so that this is us, and so like recounting and thinking about the past, and like as I think through each, you know how pictures are when you look at a picture and automatically you go back to that time and that season, you think of, uh, you think of God's goodness in those seasons, you think of the struggles and you know, the highs and the lows, and it causes you to, re to remember a lot of stuff. And that's 24 years in, and some of y'all are way beyond 24 years of remembrance in your life, so you have a lot of life to look back on. And, and, and I, I, I've seen that many studies suggest that we tend to, uh, we're more likely to remember negative experiences over positive ones. I don't know if that rings true for you or not, uh, or, or at least we tend to uh, remember the negative with more uh, vivid detail, right? And I don't know if that's true for you or not, um, but here's the reality is that all of our lives, without exception, 
without exception, every single one of our lives is full of both positive and negative experiences. You can't, you can't spend any years on this planet and not experience both many highs and many lows, uh, many positive and many negative experiences. But Psalms of Remembrance in particular call us to focus on God's acts of salvation and redemption. That's coming from that definition. I love that phrase. These call us to focus on God's acts of salvation and redemption. So while terrible for, for many of us, or maybe even most of us, while terrible and traumatic things may come to mind first when we remember the past, I believe that remembrance is most powerful when it's connected to stories of redemption in our life. Like when God has taken a bad situation or a bad relationship and redeemed it. Right, So maybe you had a, an estranged relationship with a friend or a family member that you thought was beyond hope, and God redeemed that relationship, and God changed that relationship, and now it's in a good place. Man, you look back with gratitude on that. Uh, maybe you had a situation where you lost a job, or you lost somebody that you loved, and you thought your world was caving in on you. And with some space and some years, you could look back with gratitude because you saw the hand of God at work. God was doing something and bringing good out of difficulty and adversity. And I think those kind of redemption stories are, are where God gets the most glory and where remembrance is most powerful. And so that's going to be our focus today. And as we look at Psalm 106 is this idea of redemption and how God works and redeems things. And so I want to ask you all to grab your Bible. If you have one, stand with me. We're going to read uh, Psalm 106, not the entire 48 verses. In fact, we're just going to read the first three and the last two. All right, so we're keeping it simple for us this morning. But uh, the reason we do this is we, because we believe this is God's word. It is truth. It is life. It is God's revelation of himself to us. And so we want to honor him as we read his word. So Psalm 106, the psalmist begins by saying this. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Then we skip to the end, verse number 47. The psalmist says, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. And God, this morning we praise you because you are worthy. Lord, we are in agreement with the psalmist that you are good and that you are gracious. You are the one, the only one who saves and redeems. And God, for, all, for, for that, you deserve all the glory. And so, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Lord, help us as we gaze into your words, what you have revealed to us about who you are and what you have done. Uh, Lord, help us to see you in all of your glory. Help us to recognize that you are the one who saves, that you are the one who redeems. Help us to remember your acts of salvation and redemption. And Lord, help us to glory in that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for standing. Why don't you have a seat? Psalm 106. So the reason why we only read the first a uh, few verses and the last few verses is because this praise, what we see in the beginning and the end of the psalm, is really what all the remembrance in Psalm 106 leads to. 
It begins with and leads to praise and worship of, of the Lord. So let me give you a little bit of, of really brief background. Not a lot to say here. There's, there's no known author, so it's an unknown author for this psalm. Uh, it was clearly a, a Jewish faithful Jew who, it, it may have been written during the time of, of exile, when the Jews were in captivity in Assyria and Babylon, or it may have been after they returned from exile back to Jerusalem. And the reason I say that is because there seems to be, as you read through Psalm 106, there seems to be a lot of confession of, of national sin, like sin of God's people against the Lord. And so there's this confession by the psalmist, but it also includes some, some praise and, and petition. And even in the, those last couple of verses, this is why he said, uh, he said, save us and um, save us, O Lord our God, gather us from among the nations. So it, either they were in exile or they had just come back from exile. Um, and so this is kind of the time frame. You see the psalmist recounting various episodes of God's, uh, or of Israel's wilderness wandering. All right, so you remember back in Egypt, God's people were in bondage, but God redeemed them through the Red Sea. He brings them out. He's leading them into the, the promised land. But man, for years, because of their disobedience and sin, they're wandering through the wilderness. And so this was probably, this is recounting many of those episodes of Israel wandering in, in the wilderness. So let me give you a really simple outline for this morning. I strayed away last week with only two points. I'm back to three. All right, this week. So here is the outline. It's the pattern of redemption. Remember, we're focusing on redemption this morning. The pattern of redemption, the reason for redemption, and the way of redemption. So the pattern, the reason, the way of redemption. So let's start with the pattern of redemption. And it's really simple. We've seen this all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Bible. The pattern of redemption is this. Our sin, God's grace. Our sin, God's grace. In other words, we sin and we disobey and we rebel against God, but God cleanses and forgives and restores and redeems. God shows his grace despite our sin. This is the pattern of redemption. This is the pattern throughout the scriptures. This is the pattern throughout your life that we sin against the Lord, but man, he is so gracious and kind and forgiving. So our sin, God's grace. And we see a couple examples uh, I just want to point out this morning. Verses 6 through 12, we see the, the Red Sea episode. Uh, so starting in Psalm 106, verse 6 through 12, here is what the psalmist says. He says, both we and our fathers have what? We've sinned. We've committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. All right, there's this confession of, of their sinfulness against the Lord. Verse 7, our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Verse 8, yet you saved them, yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. Remember that verse, we'll come back to it. Verse 9, he rebuked the Red Sea and it became dry and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them, there's that word, from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries, not one of them was left. Then they believed his words, they sang his 
praise. And so you see this pattern from, from the start. And, and we saw this last year. If y'all remember, as we made our way, like walk through the Bible and walk through the Old Testament, you see this pattern over and over and over again with God's people, that they get, they get rebellious, they get sinful, they reject the Lord, they, they murmur against him, they go their own way. And yet God is gracious and God rescues them and God redeems them. God works he, he, here in this, this particular passage, verse 6 through 12. Man, they rebelled, by, they rebelled against him at the Red Sea. They were murmuring like, God, why did you bring us out here just to drown us? They were between the Red Sea and the, 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 uh, the Egyptian army that was coming up. And they murmured against the Lord. And yet the Lord, it says, yet he, he rescued them. He saved them. He redeemed them by his mighty power, to make known his mighty power. And so you see this pattern of, of our sin, God's grace. You see that in verses 6 through 12. Let's jump ahead, and I'm going to kind of bounce around in Psalm 106 here a little bit this morning. Go to verses 34 through 46. This is, again, they're, they're wandering. Um, they're, they, they've entered into the promised land at this point in the history of Israel, but they have not yet been judged and, and, and taken into captivity by their enemies. Verse number 34, it says this. It says, they did not destroy the peoples. This is the people of Israel didn't destroy the other people as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and they learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. So you, you see the sin, it's, it's right in your face, the sinfulness of the people. They didn't obey the Lord, they didn't destroy people, they, 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 they mixed with the culture, like God said, don't do this. They served their idols, they began to sacrifice their own sons and daughters. Verse 39, thus they became unclean by their acts. And, and, and this is such strong language. They played the whore in their deeds. In other words, the, the scriptures paint this picture of, of the Lord and his people as, as, as bridegroom and bride. And he says, they played the whore. They went, after, they went after another. They left their one true love, the Lord, and they played the whore with their deeds. Man, this is extreme language because it's pretty extreme sin, right? Thus they became unclean by their acts, played the whore in their deeds. Verse 40, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he abhorred his heritage. He gave them into the hand of the nations so that those who hated them ruled over them. He allowed judgment to come on the land and for their enemies to take them into captivity. Verse 42, their enemies oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their power. Verse 43, many times he delivered them, but they were rebellious in their purposes and were brought low, not because of the Lord, but through their iniquity. It was their own sin that brought them into this place. Verse 44, nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. For their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Verse 46, he caused them to be pitied by all those who held them captive. So you see, there's this, there's this perpetual sinfulness of, of God's people. You see the consequence, the judgment of, of God up upon their sin. But then you, you, you see this unwavering love and grace 
of God that he delivered them many times. And I want you to focus even on verse number 44. Man, this is so powerful. Look at verse number 44. It says this, nevertheless, y'all, that is such an important word in this story. All of their sinfulness, all their rebellion against the Lord, nevertheless, nevertheless, in spite of all of their sin, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. Like, like, think about this for a second. God will always give you what you want. If you don't want to have anything to do with God, he will say, okay, walk as far away as you want. Run as far away as you want. But here is the truth. The second your heart turns back to him, he hears your cry. He looks upon your distress. No matter how badly you have screwed up, the second your heart turns back to him, nevertheless, he heard their cry. He looked upon their distress. This, y'all, is grace. And y'all have experienced this because you and I have both messed up and sinned. And yet this moment our hearts turned back to the Lord, he turned his face towards us. This is who he is. Our sin, God's grace. And so this is the pattern of redemption. This is the pattern of redemption. We sin against God, whether that's big, in a big way. We run far, far away from him. We go our own way. Or maybe it's just one small step in the opposite direction. We sin against God, but God graciously redeems. God graciously redeems. He gives us grace. So this is the pattern of redemption. All right, let's look at or consider the reason for redemption the reason for redemption. We saw this baked into those verses that we already looked at, but I want you to go back to verse number eight. In fact, we'll, we'll read kind of back through verses six through eight because it, it, this is that confession of sin. The psalmist says, both we and our fathers have sinned. We've committed iniquity. There's this realization that God, we've, we've gone far from you. We have sinned against you. We've committed iniquity. We've done wickedness. Our fathers, man, they didn't consider your wondrous works. They didn't remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but man, they rebelled by the sea. They like totally forgot all that you had done and how good you were. Verse eight, here it is. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He saves them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. So he saves us for his name's sake, that we would know his power. All right, and I want to focus on this for a second because this is the reason, this is the primary motivation for why God saves. This is the primary motivation for why God rescues. It's for his name's sake. Let me read you a quote from John MacArthur. He says, says it this way, The glory and reputation of God provide the highest motive for his actions. All right, that doesn't mean that's the only motive for why he does what he does, but the highest motive for why God acts and why God moves and why God saves and why God redeems is for his glory and for his reputation. Y'all understand it's not primarily about for you or for your good, it's so that he will be able to reveal his power. He wants the, the watching world to look on and go, oh my goodness, this God can do whatever he wants. He is 
powerful. He is strong. He can intervene at any point in any situation, and he can restore and redeem and save. It is for his name's sake. And this is a frequent, this is a frequent uh, phrase in the Old Testament. It's used six times in the book of Psalms alone. And I want to read through all six of those verses to you. Psalms, uh, Psalms talks all about for his name's sake. Psalm 23, verse 3, the Lord is my shepherd, right? Verse number three, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. He restores my soul, not so that I, I'm rested and I feel good. No, it's for his name's sake. Psalm 25, verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it's great. Do this for your name's sake, because you are the one who looks good. You are the one who gets the glory for wiping out all of my guilt. You are the one who gets the glory. Verse, uh, Psalm 31.3, for you are my rock and my fortress. For your name's sake, you lead me and you guide me. It's for your name's sake. Psalm 79, verse 9, help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. You ought to wipe out our sins. Obviously, that benefits us. But primarily, it brings glory to God because he has the power to forgive and wipe out sin. And so he gets the glory. It's for his name's sake. Psalm 109, verse 21. But you, O Lord my God, deal on my behalf for your name's sake because your steadfast love is good. Deliver me. Psalm 143, verse 11. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. So everything, listen, is first and foremost about the glory of God. Y'all, this should help inform your prayers and my prayers. That when we pray to God, when we're, in a, when, when we're in a situation, we want God to deliver us, we want God to work. Our prayer ought not to be, God, just deliver me. Get me out of this. Please do whatever it takes to remove me from this. Our prayer should be, God, it's like the prayer of Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. God, however you get the most glory, man, I would love for it to be for my, for my deliverance, but God, I want you first and foremost for the watching world to see how good and how glorious and how powerful you are. Primarily, God acts for his name's sake, for the sake of his glory. The story of God is about the glory of God. The story of God is about the glory of God. It's, so when God rescues us, when he redeems us, when he brings us into relationship with him by faith, our story gets woven into the story of God. The story of God is about the glory of God. The story of your life is about the glory of God. He is the hero. He is the main character. We're only supporting cast. We're only players in his grand, we're only role players in his grand narrative. The story is all about him. It's all about his glory. And yet, I want you to see something else. Back in verses 44 and 45, we already read these verses, but I want to go back there again. Verse 44, nevertheless, he looked upon their distress when he heard their cry. Verse 45, for whose sake, for their sake, it says, verse 45, he remembered his covenant. Not for his name's sake, all right? That was the first part. He comes back around here and says, for their sake, he remembered his covenant and he relented according, and according, um, 
according to the abundance of his steadfast love. All right, so yes, everything first and foremost primarily is about the glory of God. And yet he saves us for our sake so that we would know his steadfast love. He saves us for our sake so that we'll know his love. So let me, let me repeat myself. Everything is first and foremost about the glory of God, and yet he made us. We saw this in Psalm 95 last week. He made us. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And so he loves us, and so he redeems us not just for his name's sake. He redeems us for our sake. This is the reason for redemption. He saves us for his name's sake, so we'll know his power. He saves us for our sake, so we'll know his love. And so God works in such a way. One of the ways that I, I a phrase that I use all the time when I, when I pray, when I think about how the Lord works, God, do this for your glory and for my good. For your glory and for my good. Because those things always work together. They always work together. He wants us to know his power and his love. So this is the reason for redemption, so that he'll be glorified, so that we'll know his power, we'll know his love. So let's thirdly and lastly talk about the way of redemption. The way of redemption. Now, the Bible points us to Jesus Christ as our way of redemption, right? He is the redeemer. And in Psalm 106, we have two very clear, strong pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Redeemer. So we have a guy named Moses. You may have heard of him. Another guy named Phineas, which you may or may not have heard of him. Uh, I'm going to start with uh, the second one. I'm going to start with Phineas, uh, and I want to go back to verses 28 through 31. I want you to, man, I wish I could spend a whole Sunday on, on this dude and his story. Uh, I would encourage you to go back to Numbers 25. We'll look at a couple verses there for a second. I could spend so much time on this story. So Phineas, look at verses 28 through 31. All right, he's the son of, of the high priest. It says, verse 28, speaking of the people of, of Israel, God's people, then they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. So Baal was another god. It was a false god that, that, that nations would worship. And it says they yoked themselves to this false god. Verse 29, they provoked the Lord to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. All right, this plague killed thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, 24,000 in all. Verse 30, then Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stayed. Verse number 31, and that was counted to him as righteousness from generation to generation forever. So this Phineas, he, 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 does something to stop the plague, the, the judgment of God on the people. And it's so significant that like it affected generations and generations forever beyond that. All right, so I, I just want to go back to Numbers 25 for a second. Man, I would encourage you to spend some time in num Numbers 25. Read the first, oh gosh, 12, 13, 14, 15 verses of Numbers 25. Let me fill you in on this story real quick. It's pretty dramatic. So Phineas, the son of the high priest, God is coming to judge his people because, um, because of 
their, their idol worship because they have taken wives from other nations. They have mixed with the surrounding culture. God has said, don't do that. They do it. And so God says, I want to bring judgment. I'm bringing this plague on the people. And there is one uh, gentleman, one person among the Jews who blatantly in front of all the people, they're weeping because of the judgment of God coming. And one man is so bold as to take a woman, a Midianite woman, and he takes her. And he's getting ready to do sinful things with her. And Phineas, he sees this and he is, man, he is riled up. And so he acts he acts here. I want to I read the rest of this and we'll fill in the blanks here. The Lord said uh, to Moses, verse number 10, verse number 11, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel. So what, what, what Phineas did is he, he went in and while this man and this woman were in the act, he put a spear through both of them as they were in sin. And God stop the plague and like wow like you look at this this whole story and you're like wow this is dramatic but look at what look at what the Lord says to Moses Phineas the son of Eleazar son of Aaron the priest has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel in that okay this is the reason why he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not consume the people of Israel in my jealousy Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and to his descendants after him the covenant of a perpetual priesthood, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of Israel. So different translations use a different word. Some translations say he was jealous for the Lord. Some use a slightly different word. They use the word zealous. Jealous, zealous. Like, did they mix up a letter in the, in the Hebrew? I, I don't, it really means the same thing. Phineas was jealous. He was zealous for the glory of the Lord. And this dude comes up and he blatantly sins against God in front of all the people. Some commentators said that he was committing this act right in front of the tabernacle. And Phineas says, no. No, 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 you're not going to do this. You're not going to blaspheme the Lord and the glory of the Lord. And so he acted, and he, and he acted in such a way that God said, mm, you are zealous for my glory. You are zealous for my name's sake. And so because of your faith, because of your action, man, I'm going to stop the plague. And it says that, that the very last part of that, verse 13, because he was jealous for his God and made atonement for the people of, of Israel. His actions made atonement for the people. To make atonement means to cover or pay for the, the price of sin, to satisfy the, the wrath of God. And this is what Phineas did. His one act of obedience led to, and, and I just want to point this out. This seems like a lost little detail, but it led to a perpetual priesthood for his entire family line. In other words, like, listen to this. This, this is crazy. Because of what Phineas did in this moment, because he acted in obedience, because he acted for the sake of God's glory, God said from now on, from gener for generations and generations, the priesthood is going to come through your family line. This is going to impact all of eternity. Like, you know, you know who the ultimate high priest would be? Jesus. You know who now is called priests of the Lord? Believers. This, this all goes back to 
Phineas and his obedience to the Lord, his zealous jealousy for the glory of God, he acted in such a way and he made atonement for the people of God. All high priests would come through the family line of Phineas because of his obedience. I, I just want to read one quick quote from David Guzik. I think this is so applicable to us and in, in, in our lives today. David Guzik says this, Phineas was probably not the only one to make such a stand for righteousness, but his was the singular act that stopped the plague. We may think our particular stand for righteousness makes no difference in the awesome tide of sin around us, but God can honor just one righteous act and cause it to make a difference. Y'all, that is so stinking powerful, amen? God will use our one simple act of obedience. Now, the reason, and that's a, kind of a little tangent. Again, that's why I could spend all day talking about Phineas. But what I want you to see is this one man intervened and he made atonement for the people. He is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. This one who would ultimately intervene and make atonement for our sin. But then you have one more uh, individual, one more example that I, I want to read. Moses. Let's just read verses 19 through 23. We see Moses, who led the people out of Egypt, led them up to the promised land through the wilderness. Verses 19 through 23. Here's what it says. The, the people. You remember when Moses went up to the mountain, God gave him the Ten Commandments. He came down, found the people. They were tired of waiting for Moses, so they made a calf. They made their own idol to worship. Verse number 19, they made a calf in Oreb and worshiped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot, listen, they forgot God, their Savior who had done great things in Egypt. They didn't remember, they forgot him. The wondrous works in the land of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. They forgot all of it. Verse number 23. Therefore, he said, God said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. God was so angry that they had taken his glory and given it to a, an, an image, a metal image. God was ready to just wipe them all out in his wrath. You all ever gotten so mad that you were just ready to do something absolutely irrational? This is, if God could be irrational in this moment, he was, I'm going to wipe them all out because they've exchanged my glory for this, this image of an ox that eats grass, for goodness sake. He's ready to wipe them out. Had not Moses, it says, stood in the breach. When you go back to Exodus, oh man, Exodus 32, Moses pleads with the Lord. And, and the Lord says, okay, I'm going to relent. I'm not going to do it. So all the people that should have died, that should have been judged in God's wrath, owe it to Moses, who simply prayed and intervened. And it says he stood in the breach like a breach is a gap or, or, or like, a, um, like a break. It's kind of like the idea of, um, I think of like a, a dam or a, an embankment. You know, a, a breach is a break or a rupture that, that would allow like water to come flooding in. All right. Uh, I read online that standing in the breach in military terms means holding back an attack when other defenses have, have failed. All right, so there's this gap, there's this break, there's this, 
there's this gap between God's holiness and our sinfulness. And it says that Moses stood in the breach and he intervened. And because of that, God turned away his wrath. You know what Moses did? God, Moses turned away the flood of God's wrath from coming upon the people. He stood in the breach. Y'all, this is, by the way, this is the role that we play for people in our lives, for people that we love, for people that we know, for people that don't know Jesus. They have the wrath of God upon their life and they need somebody like you and me to pray for them. They need somebody like you and me to stand in the breach and plead to the Lord on their behalf that God would save them, that God would rescue. And in the ultimate sense, Jesus Christ was the one who stood in the gap for us. He didn't just deter the wrath of God. No, no, no. He absorbed the wrath of God for us. He took the wrath of God upon himself to pay the price that we could never pay. Moses is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ who stood in the gap for us. And so this is the way, don't miss this, this is the way of redemption. A sinless savior must intervene and stand in the breach for every single one of us. This is the way that we are saved. This is the way that we are redeemed. This is the way that we're rescued from our sin. We need a sinless savior to stand in the breach. And so to quote the old hymn before the throne of God above, it says this, because the sinless savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Jesus has paid the price for us. And so, how do we live in light of this? What do we, what do, we do with all of this remembrance? Here's the point of the Psalms of, of remembrance. It's that when we remember God's acts of salvation and redemption, it brings us to this place of worship. It brings us to a place of, of gratitude. When we remember what God has done, we will praise him for who he is. This is why it's important for us to remember what he has done in our lives. Because when we remember what he has done, the way he has rescued and redeemed it will help us to praise him for who he is. This is the point of Psalms of Remembrance. This is the point of remembering. So let me, let me, let me end with a couple quick application questions for you. Number one is this. Do you know the way of redemption? Do you know the way to be saved and to be redeemed from all of your sin and all your failure, all your mess? It's not by you becoming a better person. It's not by you doing better, being being more holy, coming to church more often, reading your Bible more, praying more, doing more good, giving more money. We sang about it earlier. We couldn't earn it. We could never deserve it. The way of redemption is for a sinless Savior to intervene and to stand in the breach. The way of redemption is for us to put our faith in Jesus, who has done the work of forgiving our sin and paying for our sin. Do you know the way of redemption? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus? If you haven't, man, we would love to talk with you. We would love to answer any questions. We'd love to pray with you, walk down that road with you. For you to walk the way of redemption, for you to receive redemption is the ultimate glory to God. Do you know the way of redemption? Here's a second question I have for you. Can you see God's presence 
in your past? Can you see God's presence in your past? I don't care if your life has been like a, a few highs and a lot of lows. Can you see God's presence in your past? Can you see his provision of grace? Can you see his redeeming work? Maybe he's trying, maybe he's present right now. He's trying to do something in your life and this is your opportunity to receive that, that redeeming grace that he offers you. Can you see God's presence in your past? Because if you will remember, you will praise. If you remember, you will praise him. Don't forget what he's done. Maybe it's been too long since you've looked back, to, looked back on your life and remembered all the ways he's been present and active and working and the way he's redeemed situations, the way he's redeemed relationships. Maybe he's still in the middle of that work and so it's hard for you to see that, but God is present. Don't forget what he's done. Don't be like Israel. Don't forget God, your savior. Don't forget his wonderful works and his awesome deeds. This morning is a call for us to remember what he's done so we'll praise him for who he is. And so I want to end this morning the way we started just a few minutes ago. I want to ask you all to stand with me. And we're going to read again the words of Psalm 106. And then we're going to sing to the Lord. Psalm 106. And so I want to, I want to actually see if you all can read these verses along with me. This is longer than our benediction, but we're going to try, I want to try to read this together. I want to praise, praise the Lord together. All right, so here we go. Psalm 106. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? Blessed are they who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Verse 47, save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, amen, praise the Lord. And God, thank you this morning for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that you are the one who has intervened for us like Phineas for the nation of Israel. You are the one who has stood in the breach for us like Moses of old. You are the one to which the whole story, all of it, all of history points to you. And all the glory you are worthy of. And so, Lord, thank you that you are a God who saves, you are a God who rescues, you are a God who redeems. And Lord, we want to remember all of your wonderful works and all of your awesome deeds down through the centuries. And God, we want to remember all of your wonderful works and all of your awesome deeds in our lives and in the life of your church. God, because as we remember those things, it causes us to praise you and to have gratitude to you for who you are and all that you have done. And so, Lord, this morning we lift up our, our hearts and we lift up our voices with gratitude. Lord, we remember and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.